AI. We're told that it's in virtually everything that we own. From our cell phones to our smartwatches, light bulbs, and televisions. And we're also often told that this should be very concerning to us. But what exactly is AI? I'm Leo Allen, and in this series from Voluntary Input, I speak with the experts, innovators, and thought leaders in AI about this very thing. Specifically, what exactly is AI? Who's building it? Who's in control of it? And most importantly, is it all truly evil? Never forced, never coerced. Open discussions about things in life that matter to you most. From tech to TV, movies, and gaming, and everything in between. Visit voluntaryinput.com to subscribe, contact us, and find out how you can support the show. Catch new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Voluntary Input. Well, Leon, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? Hey, Leo. We got similar names. Good to be here. We're going to be Leo, Leon, all the way back and forth. <laughs> very close. Yeah, very similar. Very similar. Have you been uh, keeping cool? The world is on fire, it seems. Dude, my air conditioner at home, we got back home from a long trip and the air was completely out. <gasps> try, getting a, try getting an air conditioning unit like on fast order these days it's like you 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 know you gotta you gotta know someone to know somebody oh my goodness is it still out now or did you no no i got it i got it like the next day it was it was done but it took uh it took someone opening a warehouse somewhere to get there to get a unit <laughs> <laughs> that's tough oh my goodness well before we jump in can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do. Sure, Leo. I, so I'm a CTO of a company called Cast, which I helped found with, uh, with, my, with my partners um, prior to that. So Cast is kind of the first company that I've done that's not in the cybersecurity space in quite some time. Like the last good 15 years of my career have been dedicated to cybersecurity and defending the good guys. So prior to that, uh, prior to Cast, uh, I was uh, we founded two cybersecurity companies. One was a company called ZenEdge, which is an, a web application security company that we ended up selling to Oracle, and I ended up staying at Oracle for a few years. Uh, that was an interesting experience. And another one that was uh, called Cujo AI that was centered around home, uh, securing home users because cybersecurity is always available for the enterprise, but what does the guy at home do? when his IOT devices are hacked. Right. So, and McGaffey and, doesn't cover that. that <laughs> no, it's just an antivirus, right? Like right. Uh, IOT devices are uh, completely uncovered. So we've been doing that and um, have been uh, very interested. So I got into cybersecurity as a result of a need. Like I was attacked. Uh, there was a cyber attack that occurred while I was working for a company in, as a retail online retailer. And I, what I realized is, is that no one really knows much 
everyone has a lot of good, interesting things on their resumes. The vendors talk at the game, but when kind of push comes to shove, I had to pay a ransomware. Like it was literally, it was a distributed denial of service attack that was holding my company ransom. We were, you know, it was probably a million bucks a day in revenue. And the guy wanted $5,000. This was even before Bitcoin. Right. He wanted $5,000 wired to his Western Union account in Siberia. And then, Leo, after I finally capitulated like a week later, because you know, we couldn't figure it out, but we eventually did. But at that time, we couldn't figure it out. I wired in the funds and he re responded to me with like a beautiful thank you email and said, and let me know if there's any competitors you want me to attack. We'll do it free of charge. Oh my <laughs> so he wanted to operate on a referral program then <laughs> yeah it was a sophisticated marketing recommendation referral program will you recommend me to your friends and family oh wow that that's crazy and i'd imagine five thousand dollars to him though that was probably a lot of money well if you're doing four or five of those a month successfully that's yeah. uh, that's a king's that's a king's ransom yeah it'll rack up pretty quickly that's that's certainly true now what i wanted to talk to you about tonight as the title implies is ai and cybersecurity. Do, have you ever worked with any artificial intelligence in relation to cybersecurity? yeah absolutely Our, the last product that we ended up selling to oracle was based on it was a machine learning based algorithm so if we define AI as like many different fields, but the one, the area that I'm particularly interested in is, is machine learning, uh, which is, we can define that a little bit further if you'd like, Leo, but uh, that last product was, was an early adopter of AI for cybersecurity. And the whole idea is if you can detect patterns in attack traffic, it's very, it's very difficult for humans to pick out that needle in the haystack there's an opportunity to get ahead of the attacker. Right, and I'm glad you said that, that we could define it more because uh, one reason why I've been wanting to have these types of conversations with people such as yourself is that oftentimes when we hear AI, especially in the media, it's always everything negative. And you know, we got the, the, the machines are gonna take over the world uh, rhetoric. But as you described, it has a place for the good guys, especially uh, from a security perspective. We're so far from machines taking over the world. I mean, like there is a, don't get me wrong, there is a place for ethical AI conversations, but we are so far away from even understanding our own, how our own brains work, we ain't replicating that anytime soon. So like, if we break the problem down into kind of general AI and domain specific machine learning, which is kind of the field that has produced the most fruit over the last 10 years. General AI kind of assumes that there's a robotic mind that can pass what's called the Alan Turing test. You've heard of the Turing test before, Leo? Correct, yeah, it's so human that you couldn't tell that it's not human, basically. Yeah, through a chat, through a chat process, right? Like, so we're chatting, are we, are you speaking to a human? So, so chatbots have gotten pretty close to kind of mimicking that human speech behavior or this, the human chat behavior. But like you, you have to just dig a, and like, like Google does this for, here's a great example of that. Google uses this to um, check restaurant hours. So they have a 
of a human-like voice call a restaurant and say, hi, could you tell me what your business hours are? And most people, like they're so busy on the other end, they don't recognize what is happening on the, uh, they don't recognize that it's a computer. So they, they just answer and go away. That is a great example of a machine that is able to very nicely pass or get close to passing the Turing test. Yeah, I remember Google, they made a big deal out of that. Uh, and I don't know if they're still doing it. Uh, I'd heard that they kind of backed off on it, but I'm not sure I don't have any. Yeah, it, it might be from social pressure, but I think that's a perfectly valid use of like, like a machine learning algorithm that is just really good at having a limited conversation with other humans. Yeah, and I see no problem with it as well. That's why I said um, I, it just bothers me when we hear, you know, there's always just the negativity. And I always, you know, I, I bring it up. I make the point of saying that, well, the reason why that is, is because negative sales, you know, but what is the truth behind it all is my goal in having episodes like this. You know, what is actually happening with AI? So you said you would define it further because there is, there's machine learning and then there's, artificial intelligence, what would be a definition, a general definition you would think would work for people to further understand what actually AI is? Yeah, so, so machine learning is just the process of being able to recognize extremely complex uh, patterns from a set of input data. So think of traditional uh, machine learning problems, detecting cancerous cells in x-rays or in, in, in imagery. Um, logistical regression, which is kind of forecasting the price of homes in a particular region. Uh, 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 weather modeling is another form of machine learning, right? So you, you take a bunch of inputs, you pass it through something like a complex neural network, and you get a prediction. So though, so that is that is a very limited form of what I'll call very specific machine learning. Now, general AI focuses around uh, the ability, we really can't tell the difference between a machine and a human. And that's where you start uh, having the discussion of emotions. That's where you start having the discussion of intent and whether uh, silicone is coming to life or not. And we're so far away from that. Um, there's a really good book, Leo, it's called Life 3.0 Living, Being Human in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. It really kind of describes the doomsday, the doomsday scenario kind of in the preface, which I really love the way he told that story. Uh, and then it kind of debunks like why we're so far away from it. So another question would be, okay, well, there are people who feel that we should be working on it, but as we're working on it and we hear all the negativity, who do you think should be in charge of, you know, guiding that message? Who should be there to say, no, this is what this actually is. Do you think that there should be maybe some sort of governing body or whatnot to make sure to make sure that the general public is getting the correct narrative? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I'm not a big proponent of government involvement in a lot of things, but like you just got me thinking this might be one of those areas where some type of body that at least sets some, you know, it's hard, like, how do we define what our morals are? Like we have our con American constitution, we have laws, but how do we really define the moral fabric of society and who's going who's going to uh, uphold that? I ultimately I think it has to be up to the responsible adults that are delivering the technology to society 
to figure out how they themselves would want to uh, be treated and how they would want to govern. Now, there's always going to be greedy enterprise, of course, but I'm hoping that open market forces will kind of build the morality that society needs into the process of, like, let's say we're 50 or 75 years away. I'm hoping that over that 50 or 75 years before machines become really intelligent or 100 years, there becomes a, a market-driven structure that kind of helps govern. Maybe it's a group, a consortium of companies, which has worked well in the past. But ultimately, I think having governments dictate is, is a lot of big brother type activity. Yeah, by governing body, I didn't necessarily mean the government. I meant, like what you said, maybe a consortium of, um, I would like to think it would be the, the minds behind building this stuff. They should be, I, my opinion would be, they should be the ones driving the narrative. And I often wonder, why don't we hear more from those people? Um, you know, we have, it's like the media just runs away with a story, but we don't hear from the people who are actually working on this stuff to say, no, that's not really how this works. And I often yeah. wonder why that is. Is it because they're quiet or is it because it's not an interesting story? Like we, there's no reason to have a mainstream narrative about something that's placating or not alarmist in nature. So you probably don't hear that side of the equation because honestly, it doesn't sell clicks. Exactly. And that's unfortunate in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So you are outside of cybersecurity entirely, or do you still do anything security wise? No, I do. And we're planning like in our current company, we've started with, we have this notion of creating a, like an autonomous computing platform that'll kind of self-manage infrastructure, not to make a long story short, but part of that self-management is the cybersecurity aspect. So the next leg of the stool in the product, so to speak, will be a, uh, a cybersecurity module that will help customers with best practices and vulnerabilities inside of that specific computing environment. And and your company, it's Copy AI? Is that Cast what? AI. Cast C -A -S -T. AI. C-A-S-T, yeah. And it's primarily a cloud platform for enterprise businesses? Is that, do I understand that correctly? Ultimately, I mean, we have small customers, we have large customers, right. but anybody who's kind of building modern, modernized applications using cloud infrastructure, if they're using this thing called containers, which is kind of the new way of packaging software, then yeah, we are a platform that helps them optimize their what's called Kubernetes deployment. So it's a very specific, but very large market. Um, but it's a very specific, it's a very specific application of machine learning in this space to help companies operate those environments. I remember it was years ago when the chatter about cloud computing first started bubbling up more often. I thought, well, that's the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> Cause you know, I was, I was of the old school thinking of, I gotta have my computer. I gotta have my programs, my stuff here. But then, well, to be honest, I got my first Chromebook. Uh, it was an old, old, <laughs> this was a few years ago. And then everything turned completely upside down for me. Now I do everything cloud. I tell everyone, hey, you know, the best thing for you <laughs> would be to do everything in the cloud. Well, if you think about it, like just from a security perspective, like where do you have a better shot at staying secure in local on your local computer or in local data centers? Like if you want to host everything yourself all the way from power ping and pipe to 
you know, to running the software, or is it better to outsource that to a bunch of experts who can do it at scale? So, you know, there's three for infrastructure, you know, there are different classes of cloud. We should define those. There's software as a service, and in the middle, there's platform as a service, kind of like you, you bring your own software, but the platform exists, like, like Salesforce is an example. And then the lowest level is infrastructure as a service, where you really just rent like physical stuff, like, like machines, virtual machines. And there's really three players, like big players in that space, Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, right? And you, you kind of have an oligopoly across the three. There's other Oracles coming in, a company I used to work for, IBM, Alibaba, and others, but they're relatively small market shares compared to the big three. And I always find it interesting when something happens with Amazon, it affects everyone <laughs> when it comes to, to AWS. Um, they just had a huge outage two days ago, and it actually took down my phone vendor that we work with, the company that I work with. Um, it's always an interesting thing. Yeah, it's so prolific. Like, if you think about it, you probably touch, you know, if you touch 100 pieces of technology, 70% of them are going to use some cloud service from AWS. Hey friends, this is Michael J. Mayone, host of Micro Break, the podcast for humans with the attention span of a goldfish. Join me each week as I break down what's going on in the world of entertainment, technology, and more. Micro Break is a fun and entertaining podcast that respects your time and more importantly, your short attention span. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast app. When you're done listening to this podcast, check out mine. It's called Beer in Front. Every week I talk about a classic beer that maybe we've forgotten along the way. I'll also talk about new beers that have potential to be classics. As the Chicago beer guy, I also talk a lot about great craft beers in the city of Chicago. That's Beer in Front wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi. This is Dan from Casting Views, and you're listening to Leo Allen on Voluntary Input. And so to that, then we have the argument from people that say, well, these companies are too big. They're, we need to break them up. And I always say to that, what does that look like? I mean, do you think that there should be that the big three that you named, do you think they're too big? Should they be broken up? So, you know, if you go back to the robber baron generation of our, you know, if you go back a couple hundred years, right, you had these extremely wealthy individuals that had very large monopolies in, in the United States, right? Like the Rockefellers of the world, and, you know, they attained a lot of their wealth through, through grift, like through corruption, right? Like it was, I know somebody who knows someone who gives me a contract in the government, therefore, I can build all the public housing or whatever it was that Donald Trump's father did. Like, did Jeff Bezos do that? Did he drive to Seattle, get a flat desk and call someone up from the government to give him contracts? No, he built that business from the ground up, you know, under a lot of criticism. Like Sergey Brin and, and the founders of Google did the same thing. Like, how do we break up a business that was built legitimately with no support and, and outside corruption. Like, let's assume that's true for a second. 
You may not like the way they treat their employees. You may not like the way they treat their customers. You have the option to leave and not do business with them, right? So um, I'm absolutely not in favor of breaking them up. Now, are they arguably monopolies in some areas? Yeah, they are. And to the, to the extent that their behavior is monopolistic, we have to take a, the, like, you know, that there is an anti-monopoly policy in this country. Now, like, for example, Microsoft, you know, was charged to be a monopoly back with the internet and, and they were doing nasty things with Internet Explorer. Let's be honest. They were using DLLs and libraries on the Windows operating system that no one else had access to. They had, they were very justified in getting their wrist slapped. And then there was this period where Microsoft did nothing for what, 15 years, maybe 20 years. Yeah. And now, as they're stepping up and becoming a forum, like they're a very, they're world's third largest or second largest company, they're being very, very careful. And here's a, a here's an example. When they went and bought the gaming company, I think it was Activision that they bought, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, right? Blizzard. Um, yeah, yeah, Blizzard. They went proactively to Washington and said, "Hey guys, here's what we're doing. This is not monopoly. You know, here's why this is fair market." Right? And I think what Google and Amazon and Apple, to an extent, have to learn to do is talk to Washington more directly and be more transparent about their plans. That's a thing that they can learn from the very tough Microsoft experience of the 90s. And I think that is really the bottom line right there, the transparency, because I think a lot of people were just complaining about, well, they know so much about me, but I don't know how they know so much about me. But, you know, people like me, I would tell people, they know so much about you because you're telling them so much about you, but you don't realize that you're telling them so much about you. So the transparency piece, I think that's, that's very important. And yeah, I can agree with you. I don't think because yeah, breaking them up, that doesn't, it wouldn't, honestly, it really wouldn't do anything. And like you said, yeah, these were legitimately built companies. I mean, Bezos borrowed $10,000 from his parents and told them you probably won't see this money again, but now look. Yeah. They probably, you think he paid him back? Probably paid him back. <laughs> I, would, I would think he probably did. I hope he did. <laughs> How funny would that be? Jeff, you know you still owe me $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Dad, after divorce, it's five grand. But yeah, but Leo, that's a, you brought up a, a, like a really interesting point. Um, the transparency piece is interesting because we passed a whole bunch of laws. Now you go to any website, the first thing that pops up, what does it ask you? Uh, oh, the oh, cookie do banner. You, does, anyone, does anyone care? Like, are we trying to enlighten people that there are cookies on their browsers that they didn't know about? Like, it's just silliness, right? Yes. Um, and this is an example of government involvement gone wrong. Like, we all didn't need these extra cookie banners in our lives, right? So... Now, cross-site tracking, track like these super cookies, like I think it's up to the browsers, up to Chrome, uh, Edge, or you know Firefox to figure out how to stop those those malicious behaviors, what I consider malicious behaviors. Yeah, but we shouldn't be adjudicating these things in law and saying, "Hey, thou must put up these banners," because no one reads this thing. No one knows you're going to read your online user agreement. It reminds me of the parental warning stickers when those first came about. And, and the funny thing about that, what it did was it drove up sales of records that they were trying to keep people away from. 100%. Did you see that pattern? Like you, you, would, you would literally use foul language on a record to, to drive business. It, it was an easy pattern to follow. 
Right. As soon as you get that sticker, more people are going to go out and buy your record. That all being said, if you, if you had your, you know, if you had one specific message, you could tell people, look, this is really why these are not the things you should be worried about. The things that you're hearing in the media about AI and cybersecurity may not necessarily be the things that you should worry about, but what you should be more concerned about and pay more attention to is this. What would be those two things? What would be those things? So do you mean AI like in combination with cybersecurity or like you shouldn't be worried about these two large global topics? Or both in either combination you would see fit. Yeah. I I would look, I, I think the application of machine learning and AI is fairly benign from a societal like impact perspective. Uh, I think we're benefiting more than we're losing in that whole equation. Now, I would love people to become more cybersecurity aware because the number one weak spot for most cyber attacks isn't like software issues, isn't computer issues, it's people being gullible, right? So there's this whole category of cyber warfare called social engineering. And it's the ability to extract important information from humans, anything from passwords to getting them to click on malicious links. These are all social engineering techniques. And unfortunately, I don't think the average person in Western world understands enough about security awareness. So uh, if I could deliver one message, it would be around cybersecurity, it would be one of security awareness and understanding where the dangers are in clicking or speaking or giving away personal information over the phone or answering those spam calls that can extract information out of you. And now they've gotten really clever with the spam text messages. Super effective. Like I've had to take a couple of double takes. And you know, when I get one of those, I like to dig deep. Like I like to go all the way. I want to see how sophisticated that operation is in the back end. So I will call back, you know, I'll try to figure out are the IP addresses hidden? Can I get them to send me a document? You know, like I'm reverse hacking almost immediately. And some of these operations are well-oiled machines. Now you wouldn't suggest the average person do that, would you? No, you because you're going to click on the wrong thing and your whole machine is going to be infected, right? Like you can't, unfortunately, unless you really know what you're doing. Right. So in cybersecurity, we have these these exercises. These are called capture the flag exercises. You have blue team, red teams, and like they're given a common goal kind of in a physical, like, you know, in the conference area or whatever. And then you have a data kind of hack each other in a benign way that doesn't actually harm anybody. But, you know, there's so through that practice, through that capture the flag practice, you get a lot of experience in figuring out what your adversary is doing. And that's kind of what I'm practicing, but as a cybersecurity practitioner, when I get those. It fascinates me because it seems like they know the smart times to send them during election seasons. You start seeing an uptick in them. Now I am, I will give Google, uh, Google kudos for this because I use only the pixel phones. They flag those every single time. They'll say, this looks like spam. And then you can just immediately block it. And that's what I, I tell, you know, friends and family, when you see those and that banner pops up, just, just block it. Don't, don't get curious. Don't click on anything. Just hit block and report spam. You know, I haven't seen that on my Apple devices. That's an interesting, that's an interesting point. Like I get the phone likely, likely a scam or likely spam 
on the phone calls, but on the text messages, I don't think they're interpreting those messages and giving you a prediction. Well, again, that's the, um, the beauty of Google's AI. They're, it's really, they're really good at it. Uh, it also has the Google Assistant, it does call screening and it, it, it does a great job at it. I don't get spam calls anymore ever since I started diving in fully into the Google ecosystem. How do you, how do you enable that? It's just a, it's just a, a Android option that you turn on? It's part of uh, Google's Assistant, the little, I don't know how to describe it. They're like little colorful dots. It's just Google's Assistant. Yeah, it comes built into the phone. And what it does is over time, it just learns. I think they've been, they've been collecting data about spam calls since the first Pixel phone. So the more people that were reporting, this is spam, this is spam, over time, the AI learned this call looks and sounds like spam and it'll just not even let it through or it'll give you the option to let it answer. And the conversation is transcribed to you on the screen. And then you can tell it, ask them something else. Ask me more, tell me more. But as you see the conversation, you can just tell it, okay, that's spam. And then it, it sends out a message, something like don't call this number again or whatever. And then it blocks it. So it's pretty that's ingenious. Really cool. Yeah. Feels like Apple's falling behind on that in that part of the ecosystem on the iPhone side. And I don't want to be hypercritical, but they are uh, because so the company I work for, I have a company issued iPhone and it gets obliterated with spam calls and you just keep hitting block, block, block call. It just doesn't seem to do any good. So, yeah. Well, Apple folks listening and get your shit together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only options, unfortunately, that I've seen for iOS users is to uh, install a third party app. And the ones that are effective, you have to pay a monthly fee. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to do that. So they just live with the pain of getting these calls. Although I hear the federal government is trying to crack down once again, telling uh, the OEMs and the carriers, you guys have to do something about this. Yeah, because because the the phone the phone number rotation is so that with VoIP voice over IP the yeah. phone number rotation is so easy you can just buy numbers and just yeah so that's a good point I'm gonna take a look at those uh, Pixel features you may be getting me converted here Leo anytime <laughs> and hopefully I'll start getting some commissions from Google <laughs> it hasn't happened yet <laughs> yeah. I I want to thank you for your time I don't want to keep you too much longer we're getting late in the evening. How can people find you and learn more about what you do? And maybe is it possible? Do you do you write any kind of uh, literature for for average folks who are interested in you know protecting themselves? Yeah. So on the cybersecurity, I do an annual kind of prediction. Uh, like it's a geopolitical prediction of where are the um, weak areas in kind of world infrastructure today. Um, there's, uh, I'm going to send you a really good, if folks want to educate themselves on cyber, um, let, let me just get the, 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 the name of the book, right? Um, so I don't, uh, yeah, it's, the book is called Sandworm, a new era of cyber warfare and the hunt for Kremlin's most dangerous. I'll get, I'll send you the link so we can put it in the show notes. So this guy breaks down like how Russia has been focusing their efforts like very systematically on you know how they've been able to take down power plants even prior to this war power plants in the ukraine as a little warning shot across the boat to the us um 
how Israel was able to spin the centrifuges and it ran out of control, you know, as a mechanism to slow down with in conjunction with um, in conjunction with the U.S. is something called the Stuxnet virus. So he walks through where you know cyber crime or cyber let's call it cyber warfare, especially with state actors, isn't just a thing that affects your ransomed PC or data that you can no longer it can physically damage the world. Like you can actually do harm to physical infrastructure. That's actually one of the things that I'm most concerned about is these things called uh, electric magnetic pulse attacks, EMPs. Like, so imagine a giant black, like most machines, most things aren't protected from EMPs and it's asymmetrical warfare. You don't need a lot of money or know-how to launch one of these things and take out a big swath of, infrastructure in a particular area so yeah i read a i read an annual cybersecurity prediction piece and i'm doing a lot of work on cloud writing on cloud economics you can find me on linkedin um leon cooperman just the way it's spelled and uh you'll see all my my articles whether they're written for third-party magazines or just posts on linkedin they're all there well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much once again for coming on you're welcome back anytime if you want to um come back and talk some more security yeah, we when we do this uh, security release later on this year, I'd love to give you guys a preview because we are applying some interesting machine learning techniques to, like, so the problem with the Leo the the kind of attacker defender concept is as an attacker, you only have to be you can be wrong ninety nine point nine percent of the time, just be right once and you've achieved your goal. As a defender, the opposite is true. You have to be right a hundred percent. You know, you let your guard down once. You're having a bad morning. Yeah. Your, your systems are breached. That's where it's kind of asymmetric in terms of um, the capabilities required to be on each of those teams. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So yeah, just get in touch and then we'll set it up. Thank you so much, Bill. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. And, and as always, if you want to get a hold of me, just go to voluntaryinput.com. And while you're there, select contact any questions comments or show ideas we'd love to hear from you or better yet select register as a guest because we're always looking for great guests like you all right thanks a lot again leon we'll talk to you later thanks leo sometimes find yourself scrolling through the internet looking for articles to read only to find that you can't read through them all because you have other things going on what if someone could read them to you while you tackle other tasks well let me tell you about newsly newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for ios and android it picks up web articles about the most trending topics at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. Simply put, the entire internet becomes listenable all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and you can follow any topic as specific as you'd like. 
from sports to science to Bitcoin, it will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And guess what? They have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries. And yes, this podcast, Voluntary Input, is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one-month free premium subscription. So again, if you ever find yourself scrolling through daily articles, stop scrolling and start listening. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one-month free premium subscription.